there are different migration patterns that I've later like studied on my own of mm-hmm. Greeks. So some came like 1896, um, and they were more war refugees. Um, my grandfather, on my mom's side, actually came in uh, the late 40s, early 50s, no, early 50s mm-hmm. to Greensboro, and oh, he yeah. was like a Civil War refugee. Oh. Um, but, I mean, I don't think he would use that term refugee. Mm-hmm. But the point being that there are Greeks here in the South who have been here a lot longer than those in the North, so that was one surprising element to where even now I will meet someone my grandfather's age who's Greek and doesn't know Greek as well as I do mm. because they've just been here for more generations and they have a very thick Southern drawl in their Greek um, <laughs> intonations, which is interesting. Uh-huh. Um, and then also too, you know, I moved to Clemens, which has now grown. Um, but at the time it wasn't very diverse. And I remember moving in third grade and being very <laughs> conscious of the fact that I was the only non-black girl with brown eyes <laughs> in my third wow. grade class. Huh. Um, and I had, I think, a northern accent at the time. Like, I might have said, like, mall or something instead of mall. And so, yeah, exactly. Um, And I also, I don't know, I get tan in the summer. And so, like, these kids would ask me, like, where I was from constantly. Mm -hmm. And they didn't know where New Jersey was. And then to say I'm Greek, like, didn't feel like something I needed to say because in New Jersey, everyone has a more closer connection to like an immigrant background. Mm-hmm. So that was really startling at first. Um, and it didn't feel like mean coming from like an, a peer as a child. Like it just felt like surprising. Um, but then as I entered high school, there were more, um, a couple of Latinos coming into school. Mm-hmm. Um, there were like five of us Greek kids in my high school maybe. Um, and more like Indian American. So it became more diverse. And now it's definitely more in Clemens and Winston-Salem. But I guess that was really interesting to me, seeing Greek people who were more Southern. Right. Um, and then a lack of diversity just generally. But yeah, that's also obviously changing. That was 1990. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I grew up in Greensboro. And there, the Greek festival there every spring, no, fall, I think theirs is in September, yes. maybe. I yeah. don't know. Winston's is in May, which may be a little better. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't maybe say that, but it's um, I'm biased. Well, yeah, it's a huge deal. Everyone goes, like Greek or not, mm-hmm. everyone goes to the Greek festival and gets the um oh the little donut, the little fried donut holes with honey all over. Yeah. Them. Lukumades. Lukumades. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's a festival food. So like, that's mm-hmm. not something my friend and I tried to recreate it using, um, that like pop-up biscuit dough uh-huh. <laughs> and like dumping it in, in fried oil and mm-hmm. it's all right, but like, that's a festival food and there's always like the one old woman who does it the best and right. she's there every year. I have some beignet mix from like, hmm. uh, Cafe Dumont and I wonder if that could Oh, yeah. Like, used for that. Yeah, I think so. But that was one food. That was a Greek food that I was familiar with from living in North Carolina. But then I went to Greece to study abroad in college and only saw it once. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, like, a everywhere. Mm -mm. Um, Yeah, I guess it is. I'm not recalling if I've ever even had it in Greece (laughs) visiting. I think it it may be just, like, a celebratory festival sort of food. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, do you go to Greece often? Um, no, uh, my parents went this summer and they, 
neither of us had been for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't been since 2010, and it pains me. Yeah. <laughs> really. um, I mean, I think there was a point where I was going maybe every three, four years as mm-hmm. a kid. But it just becomes increasingly more expensive to get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and now with the economic crisis, it's not as uh, affordable while you're there. Like, you, I mean, when did you live there? I lived there in, in 2000, well, yeah, in the fall of 2010. Oh, wow, okay, so yeah. I was there that summer. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's when I first started noticing, because I was also there 2009, and I even noticed a change in, within that year. You used to be able to get a yiro for like a dollar fifty equivalent, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, it's they're like five dollars now. Um, right. And that's surprising and also really hard for Greeks, considering. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of turmoil when I was there. We had to have a lot of seminars about like, what do you do if you're somewhere in like a big... Huh. A uh, protest breaks out, and how do you know if a protest is safe or dangerous? So, yeah, but um, what when you go and visit? What foods do you like to get there that you can't mm. get in America? Um, there are different places, and I'm lucky because my parents um, are not—they don't necessarily come from the same area. Mm-hmm. Um, my father is from Greece, and he was born in the mountains um, in a village called Marathia. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's ever said that <laughs> town name on the radio. Uh-huh. Um, he'll be excited. But um, <laughs> it's in the central state of Britannia. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom was born in New Jersey, and her father's also from that area, from a different village. But her mother, my grandmother, was from an island called Andros, which is in the Kiklades, which I don't know how to say in English. I think Cyclades or something. Yeah, I think that's how I would... Yes, okay. That's how I would guess to say it in... A- bad English. Okay. Well, I mean, there is like an English pronunciation. I just never <laughs> could figure it out. Um, but mm-hmm. it's in the Aegean and it's one of the bigger ones in that island group. Um, so, you know, when I go there to Andros, I really like the, they have something called liraki, which is um, a native zucchini. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, well, if you get like a big thick zucchini, the lighter ones, mm-hmm. not the dark green on the outside, um, it's comparable to that. And you just boil it and pour like really good olive oil over it when it's mm-hmm. still warm. Mm-hmm. Um, they also make something called furtalia, which is a huge omelet with like, well, you cook it all in lard first yeah. off. Um, and then yeah. these homemade sausages and squash blossoms and mint. Oh, wow. It's like part of what goes in it. Oh, man. Um, so those are two things from her island. And obviously, like, all the seafood there is wonderful. Yeah. Um, the red snapper is something that it's harder to find now, I hear, in the Greek waters. But um, traditionally, they're called barbunia mm-hmm. in Greece. And those are, like, absolutely delicious. Um, and then where my dad's from, because it's mountainous, that's where you can get, like, you know, I've been to um, festivals that they call um, panigiria. Mm-hmm. And you go, and it, they last till, like, 5, 6 in the morning, and, like, the whole town goes. Or it can be a wedding or whatever. And they literally, like, you're sitting at a big communal table, and they're rolling out, you know, like, cardboard or um, butcher paper or something. And they've been roasting goats all day oh, on wow. the spit. And mm-hmm. so, like, they just chop it up and throw it on there. And so, you're, like, <laughs> everyone gets their hands greasy picking through it. Yeah. Um, and I'm really disgusting, but I really <laughs> love the skin of the goat. It's oh. one of my favorite things. <laughs> it's, I've even, I wrote an essay about it once for the Indian. Yeah. Like, I love it. It's so crispy. Um, 
and it makes me feel really like I don't know barbaric saying it and <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> That's like satisfying in its own way, just like it is. Just eating with your hands, something. Yeah, but I remember like being a child, and even now when there's Easter celebrations, like we'll go out to Gadkinville, where like I have a an uncle who's really not my uncle, but he's from my dad's village, and he does goat. And um, as a young kid, and even now, I just as the goat's roasting and it's like it's not written about I've seen it raw I've seen its head it's like <laughs> I've seen it start browning and I'm like waiting to find where the skin starts crisping and I'll literally like go up to it and peel it off it's, I don't know yeah. we all have our thing I feel a certain like kinship with that with uh, growing up with eastern North Carolina style barbecue yeah which is the whole hog head and everything yeah over hickory smoke and going to like a pig picking and you know they'll take it off and chop it up and that's usually what you go and get Mm -hmm. but as I've gotten older I've been like I'm gonna stand near and when I can just like grab it right off right off the like grill you gotta eat it while it's hot otherwise it's not it's not the same experience (laughs) but it's so it there's it's so like um I (laughs) I wrote this poem about being at summer camp uh and I was probably like 16 and there was a a counselor that I had had a crush on that was I don't know three (laughs) years older than me or something and he came to like roast a pig uh at camp one day and he I just like I I was a counselor that year and I had all these duties to be in the craft tent and like teach people how to make friendship bracelets but I just like put a sign up like I'm at the pig picking and just sat and watched him like pour vinegar on the pig and I was like this is the most I've ever like just like stars in my eyes which is an insane (laughs) yeah no it's not like the smoke and like just watching it all happen and it's something like kind of magical (laughs) yeah it's Um, super sensory and and yeah. yeah you're in it and like also too like you come out of like an here even a greek wedding you you go to a greek wedding and like it's very different than it was in in greece um then probably in my dad's heyday but um you know you it's really fancy whereas like in greece when there's a food like that being offered like you're gonna come out smelling like it so like you're just fully immersed no matter what and like your hair smells (laughs) like smoky goat the next day (laughs) yeah there's something yeah about food being cooked outside Mm -hmm. over open fire it's like being at a campfire and all your like your hoodie or whatever smells like a campfire yeah some people think that's gross but i find it very satisfying yeah it is yeah (laughs) yeah um so your family has this like immigrant experience of coming from Greece and cooking American food. Mm-hmm. But you've told a lot of stories about different immigrant experiences in... In my work, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how do those two sort of trajectories compare? Oh, that's a, <laughs> that's a heavy one. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I think, you know, there are a lot of differences, I think, well, now that I'm learning more because I've kind of immersed myself in understanding like our immigration system better, um, it's really dependent on like the country you're from, mm-hmm. um, whether you have easy access um, or any access to like a green card here in the, the U.S. So I think in my dad's era, he had it a lot easier. You know, he started working as a waiter in New York in Manhattan, um, and I don't even know, like, 
I don't even know how long he had to wait before the owner of wherever he was working um, decided to sponsor him. And, you know, mm-hmm. that process, it just seemed really simple. And, like, you know, my my dad and my grandfather, like, they they have stories that it's hard to get out of them because they don't, um, especially my father, he's a very positive person. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I and even if he struggled, like, I don't think he minded. Like, he grew up... Um, in a village without running water and Mm -hmm. he left in middle school to go to a nearby city because he was the smarter one and the oldest child and like to go to an actual real school in a city (laughs) and live with relatives Um, and you know but he has these like really great stories about living in the village that I think back on and one realize how much of a brat (laughs) titled I am like growing up here Um, I had for example, heard this one story of my father. I'm sorry, I'm not really no, <laughs> answering okay. your question directly. Yeah, um, okay. But this one story about my father, like he's really obsessed with birds, and we've uh-huh. always, we always had a canary growing up. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, you have to like clip canaries and any bird's toenails or whatever. And my dad would always do it. Like he is like kind of this weird bird whisperer, and he said that like he didn't have toys growing up, and so he would make these like elaborate traps that wouldn't kill the bird, but like mm-hmm. kind of bait them into like a hole that he dug in the ground and like a rock would like fall over or something and keep them there and then recently he told me and I knew all this growing up and within this year he mentioned how he would sell those birds to like a man who sold birds to people as pets um because he needed to buy books for school (laughs) and I'm like wow like I'm so spoiled like I, I would never have to worry about that and my parents made sure we didn't have to worry about anything. Um, so I can see, I can maybe relate to people I speak with because I have a, a basic understanding, though I haven't lived it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, and my dad too, like he was born during a war and my mother's father left that war. Um, there was a civil war in Greece and where my dad and grandpa were from, um, the guerrillas would come and just like take the young men and um my grandfather had been a part of that like i think he escaped from them twice um his younger brother wasn't so lucky he was the very youngest and maybe like 13 14 and was taking the cows out one day and stepped on a landmine oh wow yeah so like the even though they were greek it was like a very tense time in greek history um Mm -hmm. and the guerrilla soldiers would be would plant landmines in people's villages and you know you hear stories of like if someone had a relative in Australia like they were like women were sent to Australia to Brazil wherever other people had left Mm -hmm. um and like never heard from again until generations later like okay I I made it like I have a new life now Mm -hmm. um so my I know that there's I know where my family comes from, but I also don't have that direct experience. I also understand that um, a lot of the immigrants who are new to the South, which are uh, mostly Latino immigrants from Mexico and Central America, who I'm, I guess, more, um, not more interested in, but it's just like a a growing demographic, Mm -hmm. more so than other places. Um, They are leaving, like, some of them are leaving, like, way worse conditions and, and and their route is more dangerous. So in that sense, it's very different. Um, I, my grandpa came on a boat. My dad came on a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I do have like I think a great grandfather who would come back and forth as a stowaway. So he oh, was wow. definitely like what you would call an illegal immigrant, uh-huh. um, and like work and go back <laughs> after a few years. And uh-huh. I think my dad's grandfather like helped build a subway in New York, doing wow. that. Yeah. So it was it's it's a very similar sort of like I have a very distant understanding of you know, leaving a place because you would need to find work, but also like sending that money back and going back. And I see mm-hmm. a lot of those patterns in um, families I talk to and people I talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you find in those sort of, uh, in North Carolina now with those like Mexican and Central American uh, immigrants in those communities, what role does food play in sort of how they uh, com- communicate with each other and sort of uh, maintain those communities. Yeah. Um, and, and how, who communicates with each other? Or, I mean, like how, um, like you mentioned that your uh, your family sort of made food to sell to Americans mm-hmm. to sort of make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you've worked a lot with immigrant farm workers in mm-hmm. North Carolina. Um, are they making American food for Americans or making they making Mexican food for each other? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I think it all depends on where you are. You know, mm-hmm. if my family had settled in the Triangle, I think my dad could have totally opened up a Greek place. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, even now in Stony Point, I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to um, want that mm-hmm. or understand it. Um, I think for farm workers, it's very different. And the role that food plays in their um, experience, but also ours, is huge because agriculture is our top industry in this state. Mm -hmm. And the labor we're using is predominantly um, a migrant workforce. Um, We also receive the most visas of any other state um, for H-2A workers, which is the agricultural visa that's a temporary seasonal work. Um, And so we obviously are asking for and needing this labor. Um, what's tough is that when push comes to shove and they need to, these workers should be treated better and they speak up for it or um, they're, they're still youth working because North Carolina law lets 14-year-olds work, I'm sorry, 12-year-olds work legally. Um, and that was, you know, done back in the day when, like, your dad had a farm in North Carolina. Um, mm-hmm. But now we have kids who are from other countries working and probably not getting paid and as young as nine, like picking tobacco, which is very toxic. Um, And so I think, you know, it matters because we as a state are using this labor and exploiting it to, for our economic gain and not supporting um, a better system and like policy change Mm -hmm. um, and treating these workers more fairly. Um, As far as like food service is concerned, I think it's very similar, and I think it's also very difficult for um, chefs and restaurant owners to speak out because there's just like a general fear of um, immigration, Um, ICE, Immigration Customs and Enforcement, coming in. Um, So, you know, I think that will change the next couple of years, but there are immigrants cooking in kitchens who are definitely making like more American or high-end food. at work. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if they're making it at home. I think mm-hmm. they are still, I think they're, 
I've actually seen them apply like a very gourmet technique that they're learning um, at home for Mexican food. So like, I think it's giving them, uh, you know, they don't come in saying, oh, I want to be a chef. They're like, I need a job right. <laughs> that pays well, that'll hire me because I don't pay papers, um, that I can make cash money and like work as many hours as like they need me to. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think a lot of these chefs, these cooks are developing a more chef mindset. They're feeling more like artists. They're mm-hmm. feeling more talented and they're um, taking these skills home and like cooking maybe their foods home. Um, I met one guy who is a cook at a local high end place and he said that he couldn't even heat up a tortilla at home oh, in Mexico. Yeah. And he was like kind of a sissy about it. Like he wouldn't <laughs> like, cause you do it with your hands on a hot comal, which is like a flat, pan and you just got to pick it up and flip it Mm -hmm. as it's like cooking and his mom would make fun of him because he'd be so scared (laughs) and now he's like making like these amazing meals um and he feels very proud about that you know it's um so yeah and then I think I just did a story recently for the indie about a restaurant called El Chapin which is a Guatemalan restaurant Mm -hmm. um in the TJ Maxx shopping center off 15501 oh yeah yeah, and um, it's been there a year, and I just started talking to the family, and I learned that um, Ronnie Ordonez is how you would say it. Um, he was a general manager at Mediterranean Deli for like almost two decades. Oh, wow. And again, he was, found a job. Um, Jamil Kadura, who is the owner there, who I didn't get to speak to because he was out of town, but Ronnie was telling me how Jamil has always been really supportive of him. Um, and eventually was like, you should do your own place. And so Ronnie was like, you know, I'm not Mexican. Like, why would people want Guatemalan food? But really thought about it and decided to go for it. Um, and so he, his mother, his wife, his father, his teenage sons, they're all, his sisters, they're all Mm -hmm. working there. And, um, it's the first Guatemalan restaurant in the state. I confirmed it with the consulate in Charlotte. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think it's the only one, there's like a chain called, Pollo Campero, which is fried chicken mm-hmm. out in Charlotte. But I I don't know if it's from Guatemala or Honduras or it's from Central America. They cited that one. And then there's a bakery in Charlotte. But he's the first, like, sit-down restaurant. Mm-hmm. I went there the other day. It was really busy. Like, mm-hmm. they're great. And um, I think that's an example of, one, like, eyes are on food right now and people want to explore mm-hmm. um, different cultures through food. Mm-hmm. And so there's a market I mean, that's really what it's about. There's that demand. And so, you know, Ronnie decided to give it a shot. And it's not easy, but he, you know, is really excited that people, like, know he's not Mexican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's just to say that, like, for a long time, especially Southerners, um, you know, Americans just, like, assumed one thing. And, right. um, yeah, and he, I mean, he learned, he speaks perfect English. He says he doesn't know how to read or write it, but he speaks it perfectly. And that's all from work he did at Med Deli and like mm-hmm. here he is like making Mediterranean food and serving college kids mm-hmm. <laughs> in the south um so that's a really interesting thing for me I think yeah that sounds I really need to go check it's that great. out it's great yeah. their tamales are really good like oh yum yeah mm-hmm. it's and they've got a nice little like sampler menu so you can like just eat all of it <laughs> just try everything yeah um so you've done this work with immigrant farm workers and you also, you woofed, which is when you travel somewhere else and, uh, get to work on a farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you, was farming something that you were familiar with, like growing up or how did you become interested in that world? Um, I think 
like I said, I like more complicated stories and like, I like to know what's behind everything. And mm -hmm. so, you know, going to UNC as an undergrad and deciding that I really wanted to write about food, like you're going to the farmer's market, you're learning more about it. And so, I mean, I knew about, I'd never gardened, but my family had. And so like, I understood it. I knew what most vegetables looked like coming out of the ground, mm -hmm. um, which I don't, I think many people maybe don't, I don't know. I was surprised. I worked at a garden up in the mountains uh, one summer during college and there was a girl from Alaska there who we were just planting up marigolds, just like mm. taking them out of the little plastic container and sticking them in the ground. And she was totally Gosh. at sea. She just didn't know at all, like how to dig a hole or how to like separate the roots or yeah. how to keep it upright once you got it in. And it was, since that's something I've always done with my mom since I was very little, mm -hmm. I wasn't aware that was something people didn't know how to do. Yeah. But I, I think depending on where you're from and yeah, what, yeah, what your parents do, you just don't know. Yeah. I think I would be surprised like learning how to actually break down a salmon. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. You know, it just is where you're rooted and where you've grown up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, my interest in farming is more because um, that's where our food's coming from. And also, I wanted to understand the work because I was interviewing a lot of farmers and mm -hmm. I was very young and I didn't want them to think I was somebody who, um, I wanted to prove myself in some way and mm -hmm. not just be like, I'm another young person who wants to talk to you about local food, you know? <laughs> um, and so I was working at an ad agency, but also freelancing as a journalist. And I got laid off from that agency because it went under in Raleigh. And so I was like, well, I'll, I'll, I was going to Greece anyway, mm -hmm. um, that year. So I decided to do Portugal a few months after Greece, mm -hmm. um, and woof there. So on an organic farm, because that's another thing too. It's not like you're spraying Roundup on crops. Like I want, I kept hearing about how it was hard and how it was like a sacrifice, and because the farmers really cared about the environment and like the way food was grown. And I wanted to like see for myself. It doesn't mean I have any idea. A lot okay. of things, I was going into in the middle or end or beginning of, and not really completing <laughs> the process of seeing mm -hmm. one thing grow. Um, but it helped me understand, and I literally felt it in my bones like yeah. what it meant to work all day mm -hmm. um which Absolutely. is not something you know you feel at a restaurant it's a whole different <laughs> pain but also strength yeah absolutely i think um it's it's immensely satisfying to have mm -hmm. like work to like eat a salad when you pick the lettuce that morning yeah but also very exhausting and hard on your lower back yeah <laughs> yeah and i that's why I mean, I don't have the best space right now here in Durham, but I don't have a garden because I like to leave for a few days if I have time <laughs> yeah. and like do other things and mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to invest the time that I know is necessary mm -hmm. to make it really work. Um, well, you don't have a garden, but do you like to cook for yourself a yes, lot? Yes, I cook yeah. most of the time. <laughs> um, do you cook things that um, you learned from your family or that you picked up? What is your typical... Um, I don't know. I mean, it really depends on the season. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I like cooking. I prefer to cook with more like Greek and Middle Eastern inspired spices and flavors. Um, mm -hmm. but that's not, well, it's getting easier to find now. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but again, it's very like seasonal. Like I like making my grandma's meatballs in the winter and they're really saucy. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I like, there's something called yemi stad. Did you ever have that? No. It's like stuffed tomato or zucchini. that's baked. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's like very oily. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you'll see behind you this huge container of Greek olive oil, (laughs) um, which I can now find at the new Medeli store, which is awesome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they have a small selection of Greek products, but like good brands and that's like an organic brand. Mm -hmm. I'm really picky about my olive oil and I also douse like everything in it and (laughs) tons of garlic and olive oil. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yummy star, like it, you get the, really juicy tomatoes like now in the summer and even though like you've got your oven on and it's really freaking hot like it's so good and you just Mm -hmm. it's like meat and rice on the inside Mm -hmm. that's like spiced with fresh oregano and mint and all these things um and then you put i'm sure you had those like oven roasted potatoes that are like very lemony Mm -hmm. and oily you Mm -hmm. put those around in the pan yeah so yeah those are like two greek dishes that i love Mm -hmm. um and whip up from memory no problem Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm just either, I mean, I will be honest with you, like as a writer, like I'm eating rice and a fried egg with kimchi most of the time, <laughs> like, like that's a balanced meal. Uh-huh. Um, but you know, when I have time, like I have cookbooks that I like to go through, um, or I don't know, like I'll, I like trying to recreate things I've had at a restaurant. My mom was always really good at that, so I, I've been trying to do that too yeah yeah it just it's really what I'm in the mood for I just kind of throw stuff together I don't um when I when I came back from Greece I was like I want to make a Greek meal for my (laughs) friends which was overly ambitious I had never cooked for a group of people before uh, (laughs) at all much less like food that I, I had never cooked at all before um I had a tiny kitchen and I didn't have the money to like buy ingredients to feed you know, eight people, but yeah. I just did it anyway. <laughs> and um, I made um, kefteris. Yeah. Like the, the zucchini, the shredded zucchini. Oh, you did um, the yeah. squash kind, yeah. not meat. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it was zucchini and feta mm. and something that held it all. I guess egg and flour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent forever shredding, <laughs> or just like grating zucchini and putting salt on it and squeezing it all out and just like my whole kitchen would just had little like zucchini shreds <laughs> just climbing the walls and uh, I had never fried anything before either on my own yeah. so I had like that oil going and was burning my fingers trying to but I think they were pretty good. I'm sure they were. And there was enough for everyone to have it, at least like two. <laughs> and I'm sure your house smelled like it for a week. Because yeah. frying is like, you yeah. have to be prepared to keep the windows yeah. open for a while. <laughs> like fill up the space. Yeah. Yeah. I was very proud of myself. I went out, I went to Weaver Street Market and bought like, fancy bread. Um, I think I roasted some potatoes because that was mm. a big part big part of my experience in Greece. was just like bread and potatoes at every meal, all the time. <laughs> Uh, we had a little cafeteria in our school with just a tub of bread <laughs> that you went and got your meal and then you just loaded up with bread. Yeah. My friend Eva says that Greeks use um, four utensils, mm-hmm. knife, fork, spoon, and bread. Like the <laughs> bread is what you sop up with at the end. Yeah. Yeah. And a Greek salad, which you know does not have lettuce. It does not? No. <laughs> um, but that, if like now in the summer, like I'm making a lot of that because I can get tomatoes and cucumbers and... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, 
I don't really love feta, which is really weird. It's not religious, maybe. You just don't let it Yeah, in. but I'll put a little feta and then, uh-huh. like, caper leaves, which you get mm. pickled from the Greek store, and caper berries, mm-hmm. um, and, like, fresh herbs if you have them. And then you just, that, like, oil and vinegar at the end. I don't know mm-hmm. why it's so different, but yeah. that's, like, With the herbs and all the, like, cucumber juice and everything, it's it's, <sighs> like... Yeah. yeah, that's particularly good for sopping with soft bread. Yes, if you have good oil, and even if you use lemon instead of vinegar. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you uh, are making food for other people, is there something that you like to make to kind of show off? <laughs> I think my grandma's meatballs, they're called suzukakia, uh-huh. and they, I actually had a friend um, doing a project on like family recipes, and he's like, he lives in New York, but he's from here, and he's a photographer and focuses a lot on food. And so he asked me, like, could I just come to your house in Clemens? Like, what would y'all cook? And my mom and I were like, Suzukaya. <laughs> we knew. Um, so, because they're just, like, really warming. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is, in the winter more so, you would make them with uh, mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. So it's like a saucy meatball over mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah. Um, and then... More like summertime, especially if you have you can fry outside. You do homemade French fries, mm-hmm. so we did that for him. Um, so I think that would be it. And it's a it's a leftover recipe from the Ottoman Empire. So there's Turkish mm-hmm. influence. So there's mm-hmm. um, it's a little more like of a Middle Eastern feel than some of the other Greek foods. Mm-hmm. And then my grandma once accidentally wasn't paying attention and added curry powder in it. Oh yeah, and like totally laughed about it. And now that's like been in our. <laughs> And, like, I don't even have curry powder because it's not, like, a real thing to me. I just, when I make curries, like, I make it from scratch. Yeah, so I've, I've kind of, like, I have, like, a little bit just for the recipe because, like, I don't feel like grinding anything. For right. Mm, that sounds really amazing, though. It's so yeah. delicious, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. I think that's the one thing that feels impressive. But um, mm-hmm. I also really appreciate uh, Odin... Leggy, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but he wrote the cookbook Jerusalem. Mm, He's an Israeli chef out in London. Um, And I like his flavors a lot, and Mm -hmm. they are reminiscent of Greece. And he he speaks a lot in his book about how Jerusalem is this amalgam of um, cultures. And so you really taste that. And so he'll do, like, I like roasting fennel a lot. And so, Mm -hmm. like, I like when the fennel gets really like oily and in, mm-hmm. in, <laughs> in the oven, and mm-hmm. he puts a lot of fennel and orange and things mm-hmm. like that in his his food. So I tend to turn to that and kind of get inspired if I'm trying to yeah. impress somebody. I guess <laughs> there was uh, another thing that I'm remembering that I discovered uh, in Athens when I was living there. It was in the Parliament Square. Uh, there was a little cafe where I'd go and get Greek coffee, uh-huh. and they had a sandwich. And I know that this is for tourists because there's like hotels <laughs> all all around there. I don't know, I but I'd never had anything like it. It was a sandwich on like uh, grainy bread with just chunks of pork, like roasted pork meat, and chunks of orange, mm. like ripped apart, mm. and wa- roasted walnuts. And then some sort of dressing. Whoa. And it was... I had never had a sandwich that had fruit on it. Or except for, like, sliced apples on a turkey sandwich or something like that. Um, Or nuts. Yeah, I had never had anything like it, but it was delicious. Huh. There's definitely... I think there's a pork orange recipe from a certain part of Greece. um, Mm -hmm. And I can't remember what it's called. Pork is hirina, but I don't know 
what this recipe is called. I've never heard of <laughs> yeah. walnuts in a Greek sandwich. Yeah. I don't know crazy. at all what it was called or where it came from, but I, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds awesome. Uh, so what, uh, what do you make for yourself if you're not impressing anyone? If you have a night just totally to yourself, uh-huh. what do you make for you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's really a difference. I yeah. think if I have time, like I'm going to make something really good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've discovered that goat ribs are really cheap cut at the farmer's market. Oh. Um, and so I've like experimented with roasting that. So a lot of times I'll do that because it's not too much meat, mm-hmm. but it's enough, especially if it's just me or one other person. Um, and so I've done that with fennel and once I did it, I did something really crazy. I put like, I roasted plum and fennel Uh and, uh, I don't even know what spices I use. I think, um, a Ras El Hanout that I bought in Morocco, which is like a 35 spice blend. Mm -hmm. Um, and then an Iraqi woman who I wrote a story on taught me this, um, towards the end you put pomegranate molasses on top so it like creates this glaze she does it with her lamb but I did it with the goat ribs Mm -hmm. um it was really decadent yeah Yeah. that that sounds (laughs) great something like I mean I I, like I don't know why I just like create like putting a bunch of things in the oven it's easier um Mm -hmm. I also you've seen (laughs) my stove isn't awesome (laughs) yeah so I have a tiny apartment stove so that Mm -hmm. um the oven stuff really works but yeah goat ribs is like they're they're not expensive at all and it's Mm -hmm. like you're still buying local good meat Mm -hmm. that sounds phenomenal Mm -hmm. um well this has been great uh (laughs) thank you so much one question that we like to end with is um uh is there a toast or a blessing that you like to say before meals um i don't i thought about this because you had told me yeah um i don't personally say it but greeks do it and i when I thought about it, I'm glad you asked me that question because I had forgotten that it was such a sweet thing. But um, when you have guests over, you say, which means, um, translated like, it's great that we found you or we're thankful to have found you. Um, or no, you say, thank you for being here. And then the person will respond, like, we're glad we found you. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That was yeah. that's kind of cool. I, I'm glad that you helped me remember. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's kalos sas vrikame. Sas vrikame. Yes. Kalos sas vrikame. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Clarified Butter is produced by Ashley Melzer and me, Amy Allen. To learn more about our guest and about us, visit clarifiedbuttershow.com or keep the conversation going on Twitter and Instagram at ClarifiedB. And by all means, don't forget to hit subscribe. Until next time, eat what you like and say thank you. Thank you.